Hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics Podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist and welcome to this podcast. And it's only me today. And when we say cutting it fine, I'm really cutting it fine because I'm meant to be going to the airport in about less than an hour now. So I'm going to do as much as I can to get through as many things as possible. Drush is actually away as well. He is away with his family. It's actually Aaron's birthday. That's a little son. Happy birthday to Aaron. Obviously, uh, Uncle Imran wishes you the best. And uh, I pray that you can be as good a man as through shift, not better. Because if, you, and if even if you're 10% of the guy, then you're doing very well indeed. Big happy birthday to Aaron. And I uh, hope you guys are having a wonderful time. So for me, what am I doing? I am going to Bangladesh. I haven't been to Bangladesh in absolutely years. I think the last time I went was 2009. And I think this happens to all of us, I guess. Anyone who's got family abroad, you just forget they exist. And it's a little bubble of existence far away. And I just got completely swept with medicine. I was an F1, then I got into radiology, and that was such a big tumultuous or whatever that word is experience for me that, yeah, just time flew by. And, and it's not as though I had, didn't have other holidays. I did, but I just compartmentalized family and stuff like that into another area where I just didn't think about it until recently. When my mom said to me, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. Maybe you should go visit them. And there was a wedding that was meant to happen during the COVID time, but they couldn't do it, but they're going to do it now. And there'll be a lot of family members there, so it might be a good time to see everyone. And I thought, what's the point of doing all this work and all this stuff if I can't do things like this, where we're only on this planet for so long. And I just don't really make time for people who clearly still care about me, despite it being so many years. So I will be going to Bangladesh in not so long. And I'm not taking my kids and my wife with me, which is sad, actually. Um, I feel bad about it, but it was like during the stood at term time, it just doesn't, things weren't going to work out for them to be able to come with me. And uh, in truth, this is the first time since I can remember that, that I'm going to be without them. So it's going to be uh, quite the experience. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel quite bad about it. But anyway, uh, hopefully it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I can manage this. Right. So let's go through some of the tweets of the week. There is no Thrusha this week. Like I said, we've got no sponsor this week either. And we're just going to go straight into it. And we could still do the balls up of the week if people still find that quite fun because there's a lot of balls ups around, aren't they? There really are. But I wanted to start on a really interesting tweet by Johnny Gukian, a previous guest. So much for FY slash so foundation year or senior house officer is peppered with transformative learning. These are when we navigate disorientating dilemmas that lead to transformation of our perspectives. By definition, this takes time. It, it, it does involve uh, feeling alienated and sharing these alienations with others. And he's given a few perspectives explained by someone called Mizero. I'll just read them out. So disorientating dilemma, self-examination, sense of alienation, relating, to dis relating discontent to others, explaining options of new behavior, building confidence in new ways, planning a course of action, knowledge to implement plans and experimenting with new roles and reintegration. And this is really interesting. I think some of you that I do know, like I do run a lecturing business on the side. It's nothing major. It's not like a mini Twitter or something like that. But this is really interesting. And I think this is something that we all could benefit from in general. And I don't think many of us really think about these things. Like when something goes wrong, do we have a bit of a, bit of way, bit of a way of thinking about things? Like, okay, something's bad's happened. What did I, what happened? How did this happen? Did I have anything to do with what happened? And how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? And we've had situations where, you know, someone who does work for us hasn't been able to quite be able to deliver what they said they're going to deliver. And we try and kind of bring into this that, look, okay, what happened? Why didn't it happen? How can we make things easier for you if we're going to do this thing again? And I think it's really useful. And like, it, like with anything in life in general, I don't think you can really get anywhere without any sort of negativity happen towards you. And I think everyone has some sort of negative interaction, something bad happened to them, but I don't think everyone really reflects on the role they could have played in it. 
and how that could have maybe changed things in general. And so thinking about things that we could change, there was another tweet from someone saying, why do doctors continue to defend and fight for the NHS after everything it puts them through, all the abuse, exploitation, they just can't bring themselves to venture outside the cave. And some people took this a bit literally and literally were talking about a cave. And I, I, the cave is a metaphor, obviously. And I do wonder about this a lot. And I've said this before on previous podcasts, how I think we're all worth far more than we're getting paid and we get treated very badly. And any goodwill that we have is taken advantage of. But I don't think that's unique to the NHS. I think a lot of big banks and that kind of thing will take advantage of your innate care for whatever they're selling or whatever they're doing. But I think there is a point where, you know, things are just really bad, aren't they? Why do we keep hanging around? And obviously you're going to get your vocation brigade who fly in and say, look, I'm, I'm doing it for the great good, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. I get that. And I think for some people that is clearly true. I can't not be untrue for some of you guys out there. And I think that's a phenomenal place to be. But I do question how true it is for everyone that says that. Because like I've said before in previous episodes and podcasts and various other social media outlets, people who often say things aren't about money and about these other things, it turns out they are, but they don't really realize it themselves. And that kind of relates back to maybe what Johnny Kukin was tweeting about in terms of, in general, the NHS experience as someone who works in the NHS isn't great. And uh, having the ability to take a step back and look at yourself and what you could do better and how things could be better is not a question that we often ask ourselves. And we just go with the flow. And I think that is a shame. And we're so... There are so many doctors, I, don't, I definitely don't count myself as talented, but there are so many doctors out there that are so humongously talented who put so much effort into the NHS and work. And the only thing I'd continue to say, and hopefully you've heard me consistently say, is use some of those smarts to give yourself a better life. I think everyone deserves a good life. And that may be whatever you think it is. I don't know, going to the gym, going to art class, going cooking classes and stuff like that. You have one little life on this planet. And I, like I'm doing now, like I'm going to Bangladesh, I haven't seen my family in so long and it, it just seems silly is there anything matters more than like your friends and family and i just gave all that time away just to what get a career and get to this point and by no means is it not a bad point but there are times where i could have gone and visited them but i just didn't because i was busy and i wanted to get that out of my mind but i think part of the problem is the idea of service provision which kind of brings us on to zach ferguson's tweet this week the thing is sometimes activities intended as service provision are vastly more educational than activities intended as training. Part of the issue on here is that service provision has become shorthand for the bits of the job I hate but cannot do. And this really does remind me of a time when we had this, like a TPD meeting, but we had a regional TPD turn up to work. And um, I was very disgruntled at the time because what was happening was because I wasn't past the exams, they kept making me do more and more sort of general work and what I saw to be service provision. And I was very disgruntled, very upset. And then I mouthed off the saying, listen, uh, I'm not happy about the amount of service provision. He goes, I'm going to stop you there, mate. You need to understand that service provision can actually make you better at the job that you do. And I couldn't understand what he meant until getting to like now, maybe a few years later, where actually um, the skills that I did bring up from doing a lot of sitting there, taking the phone calls, doing a lot of general CT, general ultrasound, not doing so much subspecialty work ended up becoming very useful because there is a tendency in medicine to go very kind of niche down and niche down. But actually, the majority of the work that needs to be done is general work. And that's what ends up being service provision, quotation mark. Now, I'm not saying that all service provision is useful. Of course, there are going to be some things that are not that useful. But usually, I find there are benefits behind every situation that you're in. 
And it reminds you of when I was in training and the TPD came up to me and said, hey, what do you want to do long-term radiology-wise? And I said, look, I want to do musculoskeletal radiology. And he goes, okay. And he said, now you're going to go to this particular placement. And this particular placement is like cross-sectional cancer imaging. And I was like, dude, I don't want to do cancer imaging. I'm not interested in that. I said I want to do musculoskeletal radiology. But he had me, he wanted me to so say, he was like, look, you haven't passed exams. You're going to have to go there. I think it'd be beneficial for you in your training. All right, fine. So I went there and I was really upset, really upset. And you know, I found it really boring. It's not what I wanted to do. But after a while, I really, I've always taken to the idea that there's going to be positive behind everything. And actually, I got along with a lot of them really well. There were lots of things I learned about cancer imaging. And I'm not saying I'm great, but I'm saying that I learned a lot and saw things and understood things I probably wouldn't understand. And that's become very useful because a lot of radiology work really is looking for cancers. Even if you're doing like a shoulder MRI scan, as like a cancer sitting in the lung. It's almost unforgivable to miss that. And so that's become really useful. And then I became really good friends with a few consultants there and a few of them are still in contact with and have dinners with them. And, and it's really good. So I think that even in the most negative, most negative situations, I think there are positives that can come about. And it's really important to, to remember those things actually and when you're moving forwards and through your training. But it brings us on to another tweet. And this is from, oh, I should put this one in. One dog's opinion, one dog's opinion. But this is good. My dad developed early onset dementia before he was 60. He joined Twitter in 2009 on days when he could remember how to use a PC and how to express himself with words. He earnestly tweeted in a desperate effort to hold on to his sense of self and to do and to save his very soul. And it goes through. So apparently this person was tweeting fairly regularly. And at some point their dementia got so bad they couldn't log into Twitter and they couldn't really formulate a sentence. And it just shows you like, how do you define yourself? Are we defining ourselves by intelligence, our way to interact, the way we communicate? And this is something that I think is so important that we don't really think about so much as like how much of a gift our intellect is. It really is a gift and for everyone who works in the NHS, who works in healthcare. You know how wonderful it is to be able to string a thought together and have an opinion. And I just think that it is really important that you, this take, you, you appreciate these things, right? And I, it takes me back to when I did the care of the elderly job. And there was a point where I, I went to this very old man who had dementia and it was end stage dementia. And he was literally, it was like trying to talk to the baby. He was trying to grab things and hold on to things. And he had a very tight grip when I was trying to, he was like holding on to my badge or something. I remember that. And then I read into his notes and it turned out he was a big professor at some university. And I thought, wow, you know what? It's just so amazing that this can happen to people that one day you are, you've got all very intellect, you've reached the pinnacle of intelligence term that you're a professor somewhere. And then all of a sudden you don't have, you don't have your intellect anymore and, and it's all gone. And I think that this is something we don't, it, that can, and if someone's got dementia and that's steadily happened to them and they're aware of it, I can only imagine how hard that can be for someone. It really can. So read, I, I just try. I do remember this and try and I do think it's important to try and enjoy as much of your experience as possible and appreciate everything that you've got, like the fact that you can see, the fact that you've got hands, the fact that you can think. These are just things that we take for granted. Speaking of taking things for granted, Mehul was quote tweeting or had a screen cap this week of hospital doctors refuse to do more weekend shifts in a bid to protect their work-life balance. Critics claim that low weekend staffing increased the death rate for the NHS. This is such a loaded headline from the Mail Online. And do you really expect anything less from people such as this who go and write such drivel? Now, first off, you can see the way it's written. 
hospital doctors refuse. So they're not talking about the basis as to which why someone would refuse. They're not giving you any sort of, they're suggesting that people would rather do whatever they do on the weekends, which I don't think there's anything wrong with, to protect their work-life balance, quotation mark. And the idea that they want to protect their work-life balance does go against the grain of the way that people see doctors and the way that they feel doctors are and the way that they work and stuff. And there's like a real popular uh, idea that doctors work all hours of the day. And you'll see it in some of the, the very interesting accounts that pop up on YouTube of medical students and they'll push the idea that they're super busy or people label them as super busy because they're medical students and mate, come on mate, the time to start a YouTube channel is probably med school because you've got a lot of time. There's so much time, but they just fall for that whole thing. And it just plays with that entire rhetoric of, yeah, uh, we're super, these guys don't want to work and they're taking advantage of the general public, which in truth, from my experience of most doctors, it's very far from the truth, isn't it? Like most people are actually working quite hard, doing everything they can and going way above their means. I'm talking about maybe going beyond their means, maybe not going beyond their means, but someone called Dr. Julia Grace Patterson, not someone I've really interacted with. I think she's bought part of that every doctor's thing has gone and done another, another retweet. And um, the thing is, you don't really know what the intention behind this or her or the every doctor campaign thing is. And one would hope that eventually there might be something good like this. I think I said this on the previous episode. They may do one tiny thing that does change things through all the efforts and stuff. And I don't know enough about campaigning, but it does always seem to be like, oh, follow me, retweet me, spread the word. And they big following 235,000 followers off the back of this. And I do understand that a lot of people are quite unhappy with that particular organization because of what the finances, someone's decided to look into the finances and see that someone's getting paid a fair bit for what seemingly doesn't seem like much work, but I wouldn't know. I don't do that kind of thing, but that. What I'm saying is that maybe on some level, there may be some positive outcome from all of this, all this retweeting and tweeting. And we may look back and say, yeah, you know what? Every doctor did a decent thing there. Who knows? Who knows? I like Ben for the doubt, maybe. And I could be completely wrong on that. Then here's another really good one. I really enjoyed this one. At Ish, Ish Sulin. Okay. So not going to lie. Some of you, I'm not even say that, MFs are on the wrong end of the Dunning-Kruger curve. I've just had to edit the most insufferable person's questions on past med. It got the arrogance and thinking a... MF knows everything and makes me feel sick. And I've noticed this about a lot of medics in general. They always feel like they know better than someone else. I mean, doing what I do, sometimes you get this question about what I've written and what I think, uh, why I've written what I've written. And sometimes you get the idea that they really don't think that you know very much. But then I think, again, it just goes to the bigger picture. I've had people come to me and suggest that I don't know what I'm talking about when I do a scan and I said, oh, I'm happy to learn, but don't get me wrong, but if you're just going to cuss me out for what you think is not a good report and there's nothing to learn there, then go ahead and carry on because I'm doing the best job that I can. And I think that again, goes down to your own, your, your own sort of ambition and expectation of yourself. Like just go in and do the best job you can. And if people are going to be negative and come across as like, they know everything and they're so awesome, that's on them, man. That's their own thing, whatever. There's more to life. And as long as you've got your own life and doing well with yourself in where you're going, then it's all good, but it's taken me many years to not take things too personally anymore when it comes to criticism. Like I look for the positives and then, and just move on. And I think that's very important. So where are we now? I'm trying to get through. So we've got 17 minutes. This is going to be a very, very short episode. I'm so sorry. And general disorganization of myself, really, that has resulted in such a short episode this week. And there was a good few vessels. I oh, know there was one more. Oh, genuine question. But so it's like one of those things where someone says unpopular opinion, genuine question. And so genuine question is not a genuine question, is it? 
is an ACP a doctor? Was with an ACP today who's introducing himself to patients as a doctor. Let's just face it, some of you guys, some of you lot don't like physician associates, ACPs, allied care professionals, nursing consultants. You don't like them. You don't like them. That's just the way it is. And I think a huge amount of that is based on your own insecurity as to what you really offer the wider world, the wider team, and maybe even yourself and the people around you. And um, I, I think I said on a previous episode that I did, I do remember feeling a bit negative towards a nurse respiratory consultant for a while, but as the years go on and you start to become a bit more confident in the, in what you actually offer the entire medical profession and work in general, you're not really too bothered about what other people do. You really aren't genuinely. You just get it. And I do feel like it's going to be, well, actually, I think this is a medical student, but there you go. So I always say, I normally find that it's a very junior person that gets very upset. And I think it's because you don't have the confidence in yourself just yet to know how important you are to the entire medical profession. And I think it is important to remind yourself that, look, everyone's got their role. Everyone's got their role. And there may be some overlap. There may be. But um, you do have a role as well and a very important role if you work hard and turn up. Like who knows? I've met the odd few that don't. Oh God, I don't want to read this vessel. I'm going to finish off in a few vessel because I am really running out of time. 27-year-old woman here. My favorite thing about having a nipple piercing isn't having, isn't how sensitive it is, but actually picking and eating the um, scab off it every night. I'm convinced I can't be the only one. Please be the only one. Yeah, I like some of the replies here. I've had enough of the internet to say, yeah, I feel like almost closing the whole podcast on that one. No, I'm not doing that. There's got to be, there's got to be a, a better way to go about doing this, finishing this particular episode. There's some good ones here. Look, amazing chefs are here and we'll go through this one. <laughs> Years ago, I was completely wankered on holiday and got the word F off tattooed on my top lip as a laugh. Have had to keep a mustache ever since because I can't afford to get it lasered. Oh uh, yeah, I feel bad for you, man, if you can't afford to get it lasered off, but it sounds like you've done the best with a bad situation. I've seen some great tattoos over the years, honestly. There's someone who had a tattoo of a camel on their toe and didn't think it through. So I was like, hey, why have you got a, a tattoo of a camel on your toe? And he was like, why do you think, Doc? I thought you were smart or something. And I was like, camel toe. All right. And then there was another one who literally had a truck. I think, no, that wasn't, no, there was someone who had a six pack of bit on their stomach, like uh, it was tattooed and he goes, there was no other way I was going to get a six pack. So there you go. That's quite funny. And uh, let's just finish on this one because uh, you know what, I really got to just stop and I've got to go. I always try and squeeze out a fart in pure GM entry pods for the next visit to be trapped in for a few seconds. Surely that's a hate crime. That's got to be a hate crime. I'm sorry. What? Have you been in those pods? For those that don't know, pure GM, you walk in. And the door closes behind you and I think you have to type in a code or something and then it opens up the other side and you go through. If I remember correctly, I think I was part of, I wasn't pure gym or something else for a while. But uh, yeah, man, that ain't right. That ain't right. <laughs> Great. I think that's a good one to end on, end on. So look, thank you so much for listening. So sorry that it's been a short one. I think I won't be able to do the podcast this week because I will be hopefully in Bangladesh and enjoying some time with some family I haven't seen in a long time. Through is enjoying some family time as well this week. So until next time, I'm back. Do have a great week. Do look after one another. And please be confident in yourselves. You all offer so much to the world. And let's keep fighting for pay restoration and a pay rise in general. Speak to you soon. Okay, bye.